The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Good, good evening to everyone uh, listening to this uh, uh, live streaming or live broadcast. I don't know what you call this, actually. Um, from the Buddhist Society of Victoria, from Buddha Loka Buddha Centre in East Malvern. And my name is uh, Ajahn Nisarano. Many of you may know me, some may not, but I'm a monk who, has, who ordained with uh, Ajahn Brahm 22 years ago. Uh, and for 14 of those, almost 14 of those years, I have been living in Sri Lanka and visiting Australia, particularly Melbourne. Um, and I have been here earlier in the year, came last November and was here earlier in the year and went to uh, Perth for a couple of weeks in March and then ended up staying for two and a half months courtesy of the uh, um, virus, the coronavirus, uh, at Ajahn Brahm's monastery, which was a wonderful place to spend the lockdown and uh, even had a two-week self-retreat. So, and the support there was very good, and uh, Ajahn Brahm would receive the food outside the dana sala, and he described, and uh, people would offer it. They put it inside in the monastery bowls, the uh, the uh, monastery workers, and then uh, Ajahn Brahm would give a blessing, and and then they would go home, and the support was phenomenal, and he described it as. Monk Donald drive through. So it was quite good and it was quite true, actually. So I hope for all of you that during this uh, coronavirus outbreak, it's nicer to call it an outbreak, I think, uh, um, that you're, then all of you who are listening to this, uh, doing well and staying healthy and safe, particularly in body but in mind. And uh, I remember Ajahn Brahm saying a number of times recently, it's an opportunity. Actually, life is always an opportunity, <laughs> even the difficult times. And for meditators and Dhamma practitioners, it's been, in a sense, a blessing in disguise, as they've had so much um, uh, teaching so available on the internet uh, and been able to have more time for their meditation practice and developing the mind. So this evening, I wanted to... Uh, uh, do a meditation which I call hugging meditation. <laughs> it's probably something that uh, most people have never heard of. I think it's uh, maybe it's original, but very few things are really. And uh, it's a good meditation because we can't physically hug people except in the family, uh, and often that is a, a social thing that people do to connect, isn't it? Hugging. But we can do it emotionally or mentally, um, and this is definitely safe <laughs> and definitely social distancing. And also it reminds me that sometimes we can be physically far away from people, but we can be close to them emotionally. And other times we can be close to people physically and far away emotionally. And what is the difference? It all depends, doesn't it, on the mind or the heart. If we have somebody in mind, if we have them in our heart, we're close to them. And certainly I found that to be the case when I lived in a cave in Sri Lanka for eight years. I was really, really lonely. 
and uh, felt close to others. And it was due um, to having keeping them in mind with this metta, uh, this uh, compassion, kindness, gentleness. So I'd just like to say a few comments about hugging before we start, start the meditation. Hugging can have many flavors or convey many different types of feeling, can't it? It, uh, it can have that sense of uh, friendship, comradeship, uh, thankfulness, um, romance, of course, uh, and many other contexts. But tonight the context is um, compassion meditation. Uh, this sort of sense of giving support to somebody who's going through a difficult, difficult time. And it's part of the Buddha's teaching on the Brahma-viharas, the four supreme emotions, as Ayakima used to call them. And this is karuna, or compassion. And this is feeling with another's difficulty, another's problems. And it's that uh, ability to put ourselves in their place, as it were. But I think Ayakima, she made a very, very important point. Compassion is feeling with, but it's not suffering with. Otherwise, two people are suffering. She used to call it uh, double dukkha. And then, um, and then the person who is uh, having the compassion and who's suffering can't really be as effective as they could be if they were not suffering themselves. And it reminds me of a simile, an idea, a simile that comes to mind. is like someone who dives into the sea to save another person, only to end up drowning themselves. So it's just, it, 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 we do what we can do. We feel with the person, but we, we don't need to suffer with them because that will incapacitate us, it will make us ineffective. And uh, this afternoon someone sent a, a message saying that, uh, requesting if I could give a meditation talk to calm people down from the social injustice and racism in the world. And then thanks. And of course, you know, a response to social injustice and racism in the world, and we think of America at the moment, which is going through a lot, um, but it applies to Australia and many other places as well. And a wholesome response, a positive response, of course, is compassion. And it's very, it's really important to think often with social injustice, whether it be racism or uh, related to any other aspect. Uh, a discrimination on basis of sex, on, gen, on gender, sorry, and on a sexual orientation, whatever it be, um, these these things we can feel this sort of what they call in Christianity righteous anger. They can arouse this anger, but for, the Buddha always pointed out anger is not a wholesome state of mind, and in many and usually it cannot have a lot good lasting consequences. And I know that many people who are activists in this social justice area, um, even peace, often run on this sort of energy of anger, because it does give energy, there's no doubt. And I remember a story of a Quaker friend of mine, and she, she met some uh, Quaker peace activists that had come to the meeting in Perth, and she, she commented to me, she said, 
oh my goodness, they were the most unpeaceful people I'd met <laughs> because they were so uh, taken up with this sort of sense of anger and outrage to, to get this energy to fuel the meditation, uh, to fuel the, their activities. So this is, and if we're not coming from the right place inside, the outside will be a bit of a mess. And it's one of the reflections that I think many people can uh, uh, bring to mind that a lot of the, the big changes in, our li- in the 20th century in recent times have come from people who have come from a peaceful place. And I think I read some of Martin Luther King's sayings about love, an incredible emphasis on love, and you think of Mahatma Gandhi and these people. So in the meditation, we can develop the feeling of compassion. Uh, um, using someone is probably the best. Someone we know or we, we, know quite, we know is probably the best. Because if we start with the, the, the social injustice, and particularly racism, it can bring up this anger which will actually contaminate the compassion, the feeling that we're aiming at. So later in the meditation, once we have developed that feeling of compassion, yes, we can, can share it, we can radiate it to these people who are experiencing, you know, the suffering of racism and social injustice. But of course, you know, what comes to mind as well, we can also share it or radiate it to those um, that are suffering because of the coronavirus outbreak. We can have that compassion for those who have died, those who have lost partners, uh, family and friends, and many other people who have been um, badly affected by it. And uh, I'd like to just uh, go into why we use visualization like uh, hugging in meditation. One of the most important things in our Dhamma practice is to get in touch with our emotions. And it always reminds me of Ajahn Brahm saying, he says it quite often actually, that meditation's not a thinky-thinky thing, it's rather a feely-feely thing. So this is coming from the emotions. It takes us deeper into the meditation. And also, when we develop get in touch with these emotions, we go deeper into our understanding of the Dhamma. It moves from being an intellectual understanding, which is important, but it's not enough to take, to make the, uh, to go deeply into the Dhamma, to, for it to become very real and uh, life-changing, very personal. So, and I also remember very much that Ayakema was often saying there are many triggers in our lives, many triggers for negative emotions, and we all know quite a few of those. It can be other people, it can be situations, it can be even our thinking. But there are also, we can discover also, that the positive triggers in our lives, and there are many of them. And for some people, hugging can be such a trigger. And I remember... There was, there was an India friend of mine told me about this uh, guru, uh, a woman actually, a hugging guru in India, and she used to do this. I think she's still alive. Hug people, and there'd be this transference of energy uh, that uh, I think they call Shaktipat. 
And uh, of course, what comes to mind with hugging is too that in Jhana Grove, for those who know of Jhana Grove, the meditation center near Ajahn Brahm's monastery, there, there are often these large teddy bears that Ajahn Brahm, you may have seen him with, and other people certainly hug. And uh, the reason for this is just to arouse this positive emotion which can reduce negative uh, states of mind, can reduce the defilements that block meditation. The Buddha said they block wisdom as well. And when we, and then having uh, reduced those negative um, states of mind, we can actually even combine that positive feeling with the meditation object to make it uh, attractive for the mind so that the mind stays with the object without force until the naturally occurring um, sequence the Buddha talks about of uh, gladness giving rise to joy, giving rise to tranquility of body and mind, giving rise to the mind coming together, uh, giving rise to happiness, giving rise to the mind coming together. That sequence naturally happens, but we need, first of all, for the mind to gather together somewhat. And this combining of this positive emotion, this, e this evening compassion, with the object can help do that. Anyway, it's an experiment, and we see what works for each of us. And, uh, of course, when we do that, as I say, then the mind can come together uh, it can unify, and we call this samadhi. One of the additional things I was going to mention this evening, and I've been using it quite a bit lately in my meditation too, is an additional support is to, during the breathing meditation, and we'll do some uh, the breath meditation with this compassion meditation, if we can be aware of the place that is most prominent in our attention, the aware of the place where we really experience the breath. It can be um, a number of places, and it's like the nose is a very common one, throat, chest, abdomen. It doesn't really matter where we're aware of the breath, as long as that's the place where, yes, it stands out. And then that place can become a reference point, and we just gently uh, and lightly anchor or focus our minds on this point. We don't use any force Force is really counterproductive in meditation uh, and no need to hold on tightly to that spot. But to see that spot as an area uh, that you can sink into, that you can, like a comfortable lounge chair, and the mind can go deeper. And when the mind has a reference point like that, and I find this in my own experience, it tends to wander less. Why? Because it's very pleasant, that reference uh, place, that reference spot, the reference point is very pleasant because it's got that very positive emotion. So the mind uh, will tend to want to stay there because it's quite pleasant to be there. It'll want to hang out there. But it's good not to uh, um, get too uh, dogmatic about one particular point. It may change in uh, other uh, later meditations and that's no problem wherever uh, we are aware of the breath most aware of the breath in each meditation is the point 
And one of the nice things with developing this reference point, especially with the emotional or positive emotion connected with it, is that we can bring it up quite easily by turning our attention to the breath during our daily lives. So that's quite a lot uh, I've said about the hugging meditation. So now we can um, uh, do the the guided uh, meditation, the hugging meditation, and this will be for uh, about 45 minutes and it will be followed by some, if there are any comments, questions or uh, complaints, that's all right, complaints, good, after the guided meditation. And that will be around half past eight. All right. So now we can come into the present moment. And the first thing is to close the eyes, to reduce the input, the visual input. And we can let go of the past and the future. Whatever has happened, whatever it will happen, we don't know. Ajahn Brahm says, the past, I think it was Ajahn Brahm, the past is history and the future is a mystery. But we're on holiday now, holiday from the past and the future. Just settling into the present moment on this cold, wintry night, coming inside the mind. And we can check how the body, how we find the body, whether we're sitting on a cushion, sitting on a chair, however we're sitting. And just to feel how the body is and to make any adjustments to make it balanced, uh, to make it more balanced and with a sense of ease in the body, but also a sense of alertness and energy in the body as well. And now we can mentally relax the body, soothe the body, give it a mental massage. And we start with the top of the head, the back of the head, the sides of the head, giving this area, this mental massage, soothing it, calming it, relaxing it. And we can move the attention to the forehead and soothe it, give it a good massage. And moving down to around the eyes, relaxing them, soothing them, giving this warm, kind attention to the area of the eyes. And bringing to mind the cheeks of the face, relaxing them. And the mouth, all around the mouth, giving it a good relaxation. And the chin, massaging it mentally. 
and moving down to the neck, all around the neck, soothing it, soothing any sore areas, relaxing any tight areas. Now bringing to mind the right shoulder, starting at the neck and moving our attention along the right shoulder, relaxing it, soothing it as we go. And bringing to mind the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm and moving our attention down to include the elbow, the wrist, the hand and fingers, soothing and relaxing each area as we move the attention down the right arm. Now bringing to mind the left shoulder, starting at the neck and moving along the left shoulder, soothing it, relaxing it, mentally massaging the left shoulder. Letting go of any tension, hardness. Now we can bring to mind the left arm, starting at the top of the left arm and moving our attention down the left arm to include the elbow, wrist, hand, and fingers, giving them this kind, gentle attention.
uh, bringing to mind the back and starting at just below the shoulders. If we move our attention down the back, area after area, relaxing, soothing, any sore areas, painful areas, tight areas, relaxing them, soothing them, giving them this kindness, this mental massage. Now bringing to mind the front of the body, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the front of the body to include the chest, the diaphragm, the stomach and abdomen, giving them this good mental massage, particularly any areas that are tight or there's pressure or that are sore or painful. Now bringing to mind the right leg and starting at the top of the right leg if we move our attention down the right leg to include the knee, the ankle, foot and toes giving the right leg this warm, kind attention.
And now bringing to mind the left leg and starting at the top of the left leg, we can move our attention down the left leg to include the knee, the ankle, foot and toes, giving them this mental massage of kindness, gentleness, soothing and relaxing. Now we can bring to mind the whole body here, sitting, relaxed, soothed, mentally massaged. And we can bring up the intention in this meditation to develop the feeling of compassion, that feeling with another, feeling with ourselves or another, this warm feeling of caring, of support, of being there for them. Particularly if they're going through a difficult time, physically or emotionally. And so we can bring to mind someone we know who's having a hard time. It may be uh, someone affected by the coronavirus, uh, someone who's died who has, or has, who has been personally affected, someone else. And we can bring this person to mind who's having a hard time and give them a big, warm, mental hug of support, like a cocoon or a warm blanket wrapping around them, comforting them, supporting them, being there for them. And if any words come to mind, that's good. Okay, that will help 
develop this feeling of compassion, such as you're not alone, and this will pass. Whatever you think brings up that feeling of compassion. And to get in touch with that feeling that uh, this visualization can bring up. Usually a feeling of warmth, well-wishing, friendliness, support, understanding. We can wish for them that it will work out, it will work out for you. And give them that support, kindness. Wishing them inner strength. And now we can bring the attention back to ourselves and fill ourselves with this feeling of hugging, filling this body and this mind. Or we can even visualize mentally, mentally hugging ourselves, giving us ourselves this big, warm, mental hug of support, comfort, soothing. like a warm blanket wrapping around us on this cold, wintry night.
and when we become aware of the breath, we can notice where we're most aware of it, where it's most prominent to our attention when we're breathing in and breathing out. Is it the nose, throat, chest or abdomen, stomach area? And we can infuse the breath with this feeling of hugging, of compassion, of feeling with, feel, combining it with it, this feeling of support, caring, comfort, comforting, gentleness. Breathing it in, this caring, and breathing it out. And for those who like mantras, you could use the mantra caring as we breathe in and as we breathe out. And if the feeling that came from uh, the visualization of hugging fades, we can refresh it by remembering the person we had originally in mind, or persons, a few, few people. Just breathing in this compassion, this caring, and breathing it out to the world.
And now we can bring our attention to this feeling of hugging and to share that or radiate that to all those that are listening to this guided meditation wherever they are in Australia or throughout the world. Wishing that they be free of negativity, of your will, of anxiety, the difficulties they experience of body and mind, giving them this mental hug of support and understanding. And now we can start from ourselves and give this feeling of compassion, caring, this mental hug to all beings everywhere, radiating in circles around from ourselves. We can include those who've died from the coronavirus who have, or who have been personally affected. Or, for those who wish to, you can start from yourself and bring to mind all those who are suffering social injustice and racism anywhere, like we see in America, or even here in Australia. And starting from ourselves, we can radiate this feeling of compassion, of being there for them in this difficult experience that they're having, giving this feeling of support, comfort, of being there for them. radiating to beings everywhere in all all over the earth and in all realms of existence
And now we can bring to mind to have the aspiration or the intention to develop more of this feeling of compassion and caring for ourselves and for others, to develop it as much as possible. And for our speech and actions to come from this feeling of compassion and care. And we can anchor this feeling of hugging ourselves and others in our hearts. And that reference point, we can use it as a reference point at any time throughout the day or night. And now we can just briefly review how do we feel now. Were we able to get in touch with the feeling of hugging? Did we feel more kindness, caring, compassion? This sort of sense of supporting that person or persons. Or if it didn't bring up those feelings, what would be a better trigger for one? And did we notice any change in the feeling generated by visualizing hugging um, when we moved to ourselves, moved the attention to ourselves and moved the attention to the breath and then expanded it towards the end of the meditation? Do we notice any change in the strength of the feeling. And we can ask ourselves, what caused these feelings to arise, the feelings that we experienced? Now we can slowly come out of the meditation, slowly opening the eyes and moving our bodies to make them more comfortable. So now if there are any uh, comments or questions or complaints, that's fine. Then uh, we can talk, talk about them. Compassion is, of course, a very, uh, is, a, is a, an emotion that's very natural 
when you think of the Buddha, there's two qualities that come to mind, compassion and wisdom. And for somebody that has wisdom, that understands the nature of life, understands how all beings are conditioned uh, by their, the way they think, by the way they act, and by the way they speak, conditioned by so many influences in their lives, the views they have, people, role models in their lives. When one has that sort of wisdom that the Buddha had, then compassion is natural because you know those people act and speak as they do because they're coming from that conditioning. They couldn't be otherwise at that time. But the good news, of course, for all beings is that we have the potential to change and there can be new inputs that change the direction of our mind, the direction of our actions and our speech. So are there any questions? Oh, good. Thank you. There are, Ajahn. So two questions. Oh, good, good. Dear Ajahn, last week you mentioned briefly Mm. that upasamanasati can be used to bring up a sense of peace in Mm. meditation. Mm. How should one use or bring up this theme or concept in one's meditation? Oh, right. That's upasama. Uh, nusati, and that's the contemplation of peace. And usually that's done uh, contemplating the qualities of Nibbana. And there is actually, uh, uh, I think I mentioned it um, uh, when I gave this uh, gave the meditation gave this uh, meditation recently on peace. Um, there is a passage that the Buddha often repeats that. Uh, that deals with uh, the qualities of nibbana, but there are thirty-three different as thirty-three different epithets they call them. You know, sort of descriptions of nibbana that the Buddha um, used, and one of them can be like the island uh, is one, the peaceful, the uh, secure. Uh, many of these different ones um, that the Buddha used. I'm just trying to look for that uh, that one on peace, so that uh, I can uh, mention the passage that uh, that the Buddha that's often used in that perception of the peaceful, because uh, that uh, is, I think it may be here. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, Ah, here we are, I think. There are different translations of this, but uh, this is not. uh, This is one of the translations uh, of the uh, description of the uh, recollection or mindfulness of peace. Among whatever qualities, this is Dhammas, there may be, whether they are... um, Conditioned or unconditioned, the quality of dispassion, this quality of detachment, um, it's not coldness, the subduing of the intoxication with life, the infatuation with life, uh, the elimination of thirst. This is like uh, 
the cravings and the desires, the uprooting of attachment. And this is um, uh, Upadana. The breaking of the round, this means like not being reborn again and again. The destruction of craving, uh, tanha, which frees the mind, <laughs> frees the mind from uh, wanting to come back, wanting to be reborn. Dispassion, we mentioned already, cessation, the realization of nibbana is the supreme. Those who have confidence in the quality of dispassion have quali- have confidence in the supreme. And for those who have confidence in the supreme, the supreme is the result. Yeah, and oh, there's another translation from the Itivutika. That's the Itivutika, uh, num- number 90, Sutta number 90. Yes, so that's some of the... Uh, the passages, uh, that's a passage that can be used for upasama uh, nusati, for recollection of, of uh, peace. And of course, that's one of the big qualities of nibbana, uh, in a sense, <laughs> is, is the peaceful. But as I said, there's 33 different epithets for, the, for nibbana, and one can use any of those, you know, that sense of... Uh, the island that one is safe, you know, on this island with things, with the, all the dangers around it, but the island is safe. Um, and there are many, many other ones that are used for um, the recollection of peace. It's not one that, it's not a recollection that you see um, a lot about because in order to develop it, you need quite a bit of um, insight. It's that wisdom that comes from insight, that that you you have a feeling for these states. It's not an intellectual understanding. You have a feeling for these states. You know that when one gives up a craving, what what a relief that is. When one um, gives up that clinging to uh, clinging to uh, uh, sense experiences, you know, pleasant experiences. Usually most people want <laughs> those. And clinging to the sense of self, clinging to rites and rituals. Uh, and, and so when, and when we cling, when we let go of these things, then we can let go of that wish to be um, reborn in a particular existence. And that uh, birth can be finished and then old age, sickness and death will not occur ever again. So this is whatever brings up that sense of peace, but as I says, it has to come from a lot of um, insight, wisdom, a feeling for the nature of samsara and feeling for the way out of samsara. So I hope that uh, gives you some something to work with. And as I mentioned, the 33 epithets of Pornibbana, that's in the Samyutta Nikaya, the connected discourses of the Buddha. I can't say exactly where they are, but I think it's in the unconditioned um, chapter on the unconditioned Samyutta. All right. So I hope that was of use for you. It's, quite, it's a very deep subject. <laughs> it's a deep subject. 
Yeah. Thank you, Langdon. And thank you for that. Question. Was that from Sri Lanka? That one is from India, actually. Oh, India. Oh, all right. Yes. All over tonight. Yes. yes. And the second question is from Sri Lanka. All right. And that is, dear Ajahn, could you kindly give me some tips to overcome fault-finding mind and mind's chatter? Oh, all right. Yes. Well, the the uh, overcoming the mind's chatter, of course. You know, the suggestion is with the meditation to make you know the the bring up this positive feeling so that that is far more interesting than the mind's chatter because uh, sometimes we can get annoyed with <laughs> mind chattering and really that annoyance is a hindrance to our meditation it's pretty obvious it's a negative state of mind um so this is why you know I often put this emphasis on bringing up a positive emotion like uh, uh, Maitri or Metta, uh, Karuna. This is compassion. We did. We had this evening uh, joy with others' success, joy with their own success, or good qualities. And Upeka. This is equanimity. This sort of sense of acceptance. If you can bring up a really positive emotion, and as I say, combine it with the object of your meditation, it will become more interesting than the chatter. And it's like in life, if you are really interested in something, you don't notice <laughs> so much what's going on around. And you see that when people are sick and their bodies are painful and or they've got headaches, whatever it is, and if they read something or watch something, for that time, they may not be so aware of the the physical pain, the physical headache that they have. And so that can be very useful. If we can put the mind on uh, one object uh, gently, using this uh, very pleasant, positive emotion, then you'll find that the, this chatter will um, reduce and it will become the background, because it won't be so interesting. The reason chatter becomes interesting is because well, we're not having so much fun with the, <laughs> the meditation. So we're, we're sort of looking around for a distraction. The mind is. But if the mind is having a good time, if the mind is enjoying what it's doing, it will stay put. It won't want to go anywhere else. And uh, the other thing about fault-finding... Fault finding is a it is a habit, you know, we, we, we develop and we can go in the reverse mode and start to look at the positive things or the the good qualities of ourselves, of others, of situations. I mean the classic is of course the coronaviruses, a very negative uh, thing for uh for all of us, really, it's been extraordinarily t extraordinary time. But we can see um, things that we opportunities, as I mentioned earlier, in and this time. You know, to develop our practice, to develop our understanding, to develop our compassion. Hopefully, so the important thing, and one of the things that uh, the Venerable Sariputta mentioned, is to how to remove resentment. This is, you know, like fault finding. And that is to see the good quality in uh, whoever we're feeling resentment for. And he talks about whether it be, be in their bodily actions or their speech 
or that they um, are, they can attain um, good states of mind uh, through meditation. And uh, just to see anything that's good about that person. And then um, the if one can't <laughs> cut muster that, which can often be the case, um, then to think of this, the difficulty this person experience, will experience from having these negative qualities of body, bodily of actions, of their speech and of the way their mind is. Because, you know, when you see that uh, someone is in a, a really negative uh, state of mind and their actions and speech come from it, you know that, that this is real suffering for them. It will it will uh, have its consequences, and this is this brings up compassion for a person like that, who, <laughs> when whom we can't see any redeeming qualities, but of course the fault finding mind it has that tendency to uh, to disregard any positive qualities. It's like a it's like a a biased judge. It only wants to look for the negative qualities in this person and uh, confirm that uh, you know they're a terrible person. So, and that can be ourselves, can't it? It can be ourselves. So look for these uh, good qualities. And not only that, you know, if we develop more and more um, metta, maitri uh, in our practice, that will become uh, the default setting for our mind. That will replace looking at all the faults. You know, looking at all the faults is something that, uh, you know, education encourages us to do because we look at situations and we have to see what's missing and what's not right and we, you know, and we write about that and so on. Um, And this can have its uses, can't it? It can have its uses, but... It, uh, in terms of our interactions with people, with ourselves, it's not a useful thing to do. But it's very hard to turn it off because it's just a conditioned thing. And uh, But we can recondition and develop more of the four supreme emotions, the Brahma-viharas, this metta or maitri, loving-kindness, compassion, um, and joy, joy for the good qualities of ourselves and others, or for their success, our success, and also uh, this equanimity, this acceptance of ourselves and others as we are at this moment. It's sort of, this is unconditional too. <laughs> and uh, so all those four emotions actually are very useful and they come into play at different times in our own experience but also when we're interacting with others. And uh, I know I and Kimish used to say, these are the only emotions worth developing. <laughs> and I think they are, actually, they're wonderful. But there are other emotions that are, that are related. Contentment is great. Gratitude, this is another way to uh, derail a fault-finding, is gratitude, or to being thankful, realizing how lucky we are. And I do that meditation, I'm so lucky. Um, so these are other uh, other ways, you know, and contentment is happy to be here, you know. And I always say to people, it's, t- 
it's easy to be happy to be here when things are going the way you like, but if it isn't the way you like, if you if your body's in pain or your mind is in pain, being happy to be here is quite tough, but we can do it. We can do it. Develop this contentment that's not trying to get change everything we're experiencing at the present moment, um, to get away from it, to reject it, or to get something else. So contentment is another um, another emotion that uh, doesn't have to change others, doesn't find fault with the situation we're in. So hopefully you can do that. You can look for the positive in yourself and in others, and also recondition the mind. That's a really important thing, so that it's normal setting. What comes up more will be this loving kindness, metta or maitri, um, sense of gratitude for good things in your life. So um, I would recommend those things, uh, you know, for dealing with the fault-finding mind. It's, it's something we all have to deal with, you know, and the ultimately I, I always feel, you know, well, what do I get out of <laughs> fault-finding? Nothing, nothing. The only thing people get out of fault-finding is feeling that they are, you know, they are wiser or they understand better than anybody else. That's why they are fault-finding. But there is absolutely zero one gets out of it. It brings no joy, no happiness. And that sense of superiority is just so empty and unsatisfying. So that's what I would recommend, you know, to to do. It's, a, it's part of our Dhamma practice, and it's a very important part um, because overcoming these uh, fault-finding is really the essence of, of developing metta, loving-kindness, uh, uh, maitri. But we can use these other emotions as well, all these positive ones. Thank you very much for that question, and that's... Do we have time for one more quick one question? One more question, yes, yes. It's only Make ten, it a quick answer. Ten to, I think. Yeah. Ajahn, what is, talking of the supreme emotions, uh, yes. Ajahn, what is the best definition you could suggest for upeka? Thank you. Oh, all right, yes. Uh, upeka, usually it's it's described as, um, the way we, we, we describe it is understanding... Um, that beings are the owners of their we are too, or our actions. We're heirs to our action. This is understanding of karma, really. And uh, when we understand that, if we're understanding to a certain, to a very large extent, how conditioned we are. That's what I see with it. You know, by our actions, with that we're defined by, by the way we think, the way we've acted, and the way we've acted, the way we've spoken in the in the past is defined by the way we think so in a sense it's that that's that uh with um upeka it's that sense of acceptance the feeling of acceptance that comes when we see you know how we are also conditioned and uh, how um we couldn't be any other way at that particular point or another person couldn't be any other way at that particular point in time. And that sense of acceptance of Upeka has it's not a um it's a co- not a cold feeling. It's got a lot of compassion in it, it's got a lot of um understanding and wisdom. It comes from understanding and wisdom actually. 
And with that, as I mentioned before, you know, when you have an understanding of the human situation and the limitations of each of our conditioning, uh, some people have very, very negative <laughs> conditioning, which gives rise to horrible states of mind, horrible actions, and a horrible speech. And But you realize that that comes from that conditioning, that that karma, in a sense, um, from the past. But it doesn't have to be permanent. It's not permanent. Nothing is. So it comes with that understanding, too, of impermanence and also uh, non-self. Because when you understand conditioning, then you realize there isn't a self here. This is a conditioned experience, you know, of... We're all the sum total of all those things that have influenced us in the past um, and are influencing us now. And the important, important thing for all of us is to choose our conditioning um, so that we can develop in a direction, create the causes to develop in a direction that is more and more positive, more and more wise. But... Upaking is coming from that wisdom that beings are as they are at this particular moment. We are as we are at this particular moment. But it's not set in concrete. So that's the good news. So in brief, really, it's just um, uh, Upeka comes from understanding karma. You know, that we are the owners of our actions. We are born of our actions, it says. We are heirs of our actions as well. Related to our actions, our actions are our shelter. And whatever actions we do, whether good or or bad, of those we will be the heirs. And this is, of course, you know, not only body and speech, it's mind. Mind is the biggie, really. It's what's shaping the world we live in. Our experience of that world. So uh, I hope that uh, that's useful. One time uh, I will do um, uh, a meditation using uh, it's called it's on acceptance, but it's it's basically uh, upeka that sort of unconditional unconditional acceptance of ourselves and others as we are at this particular moment. So I hope that uh, is of use for you and. For and now we can finish. Uh, for those who like to, <laughs> this is what I usually say, we can bow to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha.